Welcome to the Inside Story podcast, where we dissect, analyze, and help define major global stories. I'm Sami Zaydan. Poland is ramping up efforts to stop migrants and refugees entering from Belarus. Neither country wants them, leaving thousands of people in limbo as temperatures fall ahead of winter. European officials have accused Belarus of using the migrants in retaliation against sanctions. So is Minsk exploiting these people to put pressure on the EU? Or could this be a sign of EU policy failing on migration? Let's bring in our guests into the show now. We have joining us from Warsaw, Liliana Schmier. She's the Director of Analysis at the Warsaw Institute in Moscow. Viktor Olevich is lead expert at the Center for Actual Politics. And in Brussels, Pieter Klepe is editor of BrusselsReport.eu. Welcome to you all. Let's start with Liliana. So what is the perspective from Warsaw? Do they see that Belarus is deliberately using these migrants to put political pressure on countries like Poland? Uh, first of all, I would like to thank you for, for the invitation to the program. And directly answering your question, yes, Yes, uh, Belarus is using uh, those people to destabilize the situation in the European Union. Uh, but first of all, Poland as a country has always been supporting free Belarus. Uh, for us, the Belarusian society is our friend and it will be our friend. Let and me jump in Poland... there, though, if I may, Liliana, and present to you the perspective from Belarus. They say countries like Poland have actually created this crisis because they're not observing humane treatment and reception of potential refugees and, and migrants who just want a safe place in Europe? Um, of course, of course, but uh, there are legal ways to enter the European Union. Um, they can contact the employers here, uh, they can try to get the visa. But um, what Poland is doing, we are trying to help those people, but it is not possible in this case because this is the element of the hybrid war. And this is the Belarus, this is the regime of Lukashenko who is using those people to try to destabilize the situation here. Let me take that perspective to Moscow. Victor, what do you make of the suggestions that really Belarusian authorities have created this crisis as some kind of political payback because of the dispute between the EU, countries like Poland, and Belarus? Well, we have to look back uh, a little more than a year to see where the roots of this crisis lie. Uh, so uh, Minsk, the Lukashenko, the head of Belarus, uh, believes that uh, Poland and uh, Lithuania uh, played a lead role in a campaign to delegitimize him, uh, including on the European continent within the EU, after the um, elections uh, last year that were falsified uh, in his favor. And so uh, he uh, sees this uh, as payback. Uh, and the object uh, of uh, this action, uh, continuing action, with uh, migrants from the Middle East uh, passing through Belarusian territory into the EU, uh, the object of this is to show let, the let, let me jump uh, in if I, if I could, Victor, as well. Forgive me Polish for interrupting and Lithuanian you. Authorities. But also, the report suggests that these are not simply 
people who are passing through. But the claims, at least from countries like Poland and Lithuania, is that the Belarusian authorities have been actively organizing, facilitating, helping these people to come to Minsk and then bust them to the border. This is not a case, they say, of Belarusian authorities simply caught in the middle. Uh, uh, of course, this, is, uh, this involves essentially sponsoring the movement of these migrants from the Middle East, from Iraq, for example, through Belarusian territory, and, uh, and then providing uh, uh, routes for them to enter uh, EU countries, Lithuania and Poland. Of course, if the Belarusian authorities did not want this to happen, it would simply not happen. There is no question about it. And so the reason behind it is that the Belarusian authorities uh, want to show the duplicity, the supposed duplicity of the Polish and Lithuanian authorities since uh, Warsaw and Vilnius um, spoke uh, a lot about human rights violations uh, in uh, Belarus last year and this year. So Belarus wants to create this, uh, is creating these incidents to show that uh, Poland and Lithuania themselves are violating uh, the rights of these migrants that want to come through uh, Belarus into Polish and uh, Lithuanian territory. And so Belarus is actively using what is happening at the border and what is happening in the temporary uh, mig migrant camps uh, uh, for its uh, information campaign, both domestically and uh, and the campaign that it's waging uh, uh, to, uh, as far as foreign countries are right. concerned. Right. But, any, uh, but if uh, Belarus ever had any hopes of this uh, uh, modify, uh, leading to a modification or a softening of economic or political sanctions against Minsk, this would simply not work. All right, if uh, anything, let me jump in the again, European Union we, is we going will, to we do use want this to talk to more about sanctions against Minsk. what the impact will be in the end. But before we get to that point, I want to bring Pieter into this discussion. Pieter, are we really looking at a situation in the 21st century of basically human beings, many of them women and children, perhaps even refugees, being used as political pawns, as payback because of a political dispute between countries that they have nothing to do with? Well, I'm afraid that's uh, indeed the case. And uh, if there were any doubts that the uh, Belarusian regime was involved, I think yesterday you could see the images of, uh, I think, a few thousand people being escorted uh, to the border. So, so I mean, it's a sort of, I think, hard to deny for Belarus now that it is indeed in instrumentalizing migration. Um, and, and surely these people have been lured to Belarus with all kinds of uh, false, uh, false promises. Now, um, the question is what to do about this now. I think on the short term, what the European Union can do is to tell the airlines that are bringing these people from the Middle East uh, to Minsk that they are no longer allowed to operate in the EU as long as they fly on Minsk. I mean, of course, only for a short uh, period, but that would definitely uh, end this, um, this little scheme uh, that is, I think, no longer just hybrid warfare. It is actually bordering on, on warfare when you see the images. And, and it, it looks indeed like the Belarusian regime is deliberately looking and, and craving for, uh, for some violence. So, so let's hope everybody 
keeps uh, keeps its cool because that's uh, that's Peter, of course very important. To a certain extent, um, has the issue has the issue once again shown a crisis on Europe's borders that the EU is struggling to deal with. It's struggling to come up with a coherent policy that can, at the one hand, satisfy those concerns about national sovereignty and borders, but also balance that with respect for international obligations towards receiving people who show up at your border and say, hey, we need protection, we have kids, we have women. Uh, well, of course, um, legally, uh, it's, it's doubtful whether these people can... Um, can claim to uh, come from a, uh, a non-safe country, given that they, they voluntarily went to uh, um, to Belarus. Uh, I mean, the same issues were at play when you had the issue between Turkey and and Greece. Uh, now, the thing is, uh, fundamentally, the, the European Union does not uh, properly control its borders. Um, and and um, the reason is that if you, um, as a... Um, an irregular migrant, if you manage to, to enter EU territory, even if uh, you are de denied asylum, there's a very low chance uh, that you will be sent back. Um, and I think that's, that's, that's the core issue here. And this is now being abused by autocrats at, uh, at Europe's borders. And, and there are several ways of trying to deal with that. One of it is uh, what Denmark and the United Kingdom are now trying to do, which is to, to sort of outsource asylum processing. Uh, it's very hard, um, but I think if the whole, if this would be taken up at the EU level, uh, then the idea to sort of uh, allow people to um, apply for asylum in the region, uh, and then one, when they get a yes, uh, they, uh, they, can, they can come to Europe, if not, they are, um, you know, um, um, repatriated from Europe to uh, to that reception center. I mean, th that kind of a system could indeed uh, settle the situation. But um, you've opened up at an the important moment, point the, there about taking yeah. it up. Your words were taking it up at the EU level. I'm going to come back to you in a moment about that. But before we go that far, I want to bring Liliana and ask this question: Who's winning the game so far, Liliana? Well, I would say that right now the situation is quite stable. Uh, Poland has uh, discussed the issue with uh, Latvia and Lithuania authorities. So we somehow are able to manage it on our own, but we're not saying no. Maybe in the future we will need more, more help from European Union and also from NATO. But um, so far, I think all the countries should uh, understand the situation that Poland is not the aim of those migrants. Uh, these are Germany, France, Belgium. So what Poland is doing, we are protecting the borders of the European Union. We are protecting it. So um, I think that, that should be stressed out. And uh, also why Lukashenko is uh, doing it. We should also remember about the fact that um, European Union did not approve the presidential election that were won by him on 9th August last year. Um, so right now, European uh, Union leaders are meeting with Svetlana Tichanouska, right? So Lukashenko really is not handling the situation in a good manner. So he's just sending those poor people to the... Uh, All right, but will, will he prevail? Will his policies produce any softening of the EU line, a rollback of the sanctions which were imposed in June and so on? 
uh, I think that there is still lacking of a common voice in the European Union. Uh, but, um, you know, personally, I don't see here uh, any area to discussion because we should not discuss anything with terrorists. So in this case, I don't see any 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 area to, to discuss it in a normal way as we do in, for example, European Union. Let, let me bring in Victor because you had something to uh, comment on, didn't you, about that? Your analysis, Victor, is that basically this will backfire on Minsk? Well, it uh, actually makes uh, Belarus a singular loser in this situation. Because, uh, first of all, uh, there is little chance, to put it mildly, that the European Union is going to soften the sanctions regime that it introduced against Belarus following uh, last year's falsified elections. And so if Minsk had any uh, doubts about that the last few months as this migrant crisis uh, has proceeded, uh, these doubts have evaporated. In fact, if anything, the European Union uh, or uh, specific European Union countries are likely to introduce even harsher sanctions against uh, Minsk. At the same time, uh, and, and so the question uh, arises, is, this, uh, is the economic and political damage uh, worth the information campaign that uh, Belarus is waging, the propaganda campaign? That's, uh, that's a question for the Belarusian authorities to answer. But there is another uh, interesting winner in this situation, and that's in a way Russia. Because as the economic fortunes of Belarus decline because of Minsk's uh, position towards this crisis, including this crisis, uh, so does Russian influence, including economic influence, in, uh, in Belarus increase because Belarus has to get uh, the resources that it was getting from the EU uh, through its economic relations with EU countries. It has to uh, somehow get, it from, uh, get those resources from somewhere else. And uh, uh, basically, uh, Lukashenko at this point can, point, can uh, ask for those resources in Russia and to some degree in China, with which Belarus has uh, fairly good, pretty, uh, could say pretty good relations. Uh, okay. And of course, the, Belarus's main sponsor in the last few years has been Russia. So essentially, this crisis is uh, weakening, is continuing to weaken Lukashenko, even though perhaps he believed in the beginning that it would strengthen him. Okay, so a weakening of Lukashenko, perhaps Pieter also. Is there a weakening of EU influence, as Victor pointed out there, perhaps Russian influence increases. You said an important sentence a moment ago about whether there would be any action on the EU level to take this matter up. Listening to the latest, latest statements out of the EU Commission, it seems clear when they say, you know, this is, a, this is up to the national competence to deal with. It doesn't sound like there's a lot of political will at the EU level to get involved with, with this, at, at least at the level of trying to sort out how you handle people at the borders, right? Well, I'm not so sure, to be honest. Uh, of course, when it comes to border protection, that is a national competence and, and, uh, and it should stay a national competence. I don't think uh, uh, we need like a big bureaucracy or, or Frontex even. I don't think they can do uh, much good, uh, frankly. 
but uh, what the European Union can do is to, um, for example, tackle this trade aspect of this particular crisis, the fact that all the airlines are transporting people from the Middle East uh, to, uh, to Europe. Uh, and you see a hardening of the stance. Uh, Austria was traditionally one of the more, let's say, dovish member states uh, towards uh, Belarus. And they have now hardened uh, their stance. I think we have to really make a distinction between sanctions that are intended to punish autocrats uh, for uh, domestic abuse. And typically, those sanctions are not very, uh, very successful. And uh, other kinds of measures that are um, needed uh, to sort of uh, protect the integrity of, of, the, of the European Union's uh, borders. And, and we're talking about the, the second set of measures now. And I, I think if this continues, uh, all EU member states will, will no doubt that they, they will need to take uh, action, that they will basically uh, put an end to this uh, chaos. Um, so, so indeed, I don't think uh, Lukashenko uh, will emerge as the, as the winner here. Of course, it's possible that domestically this may strengthen his position. Unfortunately, that's what dictators do. They stir up some trouble abroad in order to sort of have the uh, rally around the flag effect. But then looking at the massive protests that we've seen in Belarus, uh, I could, would doubt could, Peter, uh, how could, strong Couldn't one his make that really same is. allegation for some of the EU countries who are dealing with this issue too, that they have... Uh, right-wing governments that see a political interest for them in rallying their public opinion around a sort of anti-migrant and refugee stance, right? Well, of course, the Polish government uh, will also use this to uh, increase its popularity. But, I mean, it's not the Polish government that is flying in uh, people uh, from the Middle East to, the, to, to then uh, force them uh, to the border. This is all a consequence of, uh, of actions taken uh, by the regime in, uh, in Minsk. All right, let me bring in Liliana again and ask this question. Is it really a win for countries like Poland if Lukashenko is weakened, but at the expense or at the benefit of countries like Russia? Is that much comfort in Warsaw? Um, well, yeah, but... Um what we uh, well I, I just would like to comment very shortly uh, on, on the previous um, thing that um, uh, the information from, from Russell uh, has said that um, um, well I think that this issue should be completely unpolitical you know because uh, we should not uh, say that well right-wing government is doing something and the opposition is doing the other thing, you know. We are protecting our borders and that should be really point number one in, uh, in the political but, agenda. But Lilian, so let me jump in and tell you what a lot of human rights groups are saying. You know, a couple of thousand, mostly women and children, aren't exactly a huge security threat to the continent of Europe, are they? Yes, yes, well... I mean, there could but, be a more know, humane uh, way yeah. to, to deal with this, even if, you know, Warsaw doesn't want to have to deal with people being shipped in, especially but to be used are, as political pawns. We are, we are dealing with those people. Uh, we want to help them, but um, this is the responsibility also of the parents who are taking those children for like a huge trip, which also costs a lot of money. You know, not everyone, not every person in the Middle East, not every person in Iraq is able to pay such a huge amount of money. 
So this is also the thing that should be stressed out here. And of course, um, such usage of, of people as a weapon in a, you know, in, in such a um, conflict, in such a hybrid world, I think it's the first one in modern history. Um, so yeah, I completely uh, agree that it shouldn't be, um, you know, like this, but uh, we as a country, we need to protect our borders. All right. We're and we are to. not protecting only our borders, but we are protecting borders of the whole European Union. Of course, right. our We've, situation. All right. So We've made that point. All right. You made that point yeah. loud and clear. I'm afraid we are out of time, so we're going to have to end it there. Let's thank our guests very much, Liliana, Victor and Pieter. That's it for this Inside Story podcast. This episode was produced by Jennifer Bragg, Maha Barada, Abdurrahman Warsami, and Paul Taylor. Studio sound was by Aston Goodison. The program was edited by Anil Anandan, Ling Ingwen, and Joe DeFrias. Be sure to subscribe to the Inside Story podcast to catch every episode. Thank you for listening. We'll be back again on Tuesday. Mm-hmm.